Hello, everyone. This is B-Sides, the After Sunday Afterthoughts. And I'm just going to basically use this one to cover all of the Gospel of Mark, which we just finished six messages through the Gospel of Mark looking at the way. Sometimes Mark gets a bad rap. Um, it's the smallest of the four Gospels. And in some ways, when you read through all four of them, you generally look back at Mark and say, it seemed to be the least interesting. You know, Matthew has the Sermon on the Mount. Luke has a lot of unique parables, and it has the great Christmas story, the angels singing, and Mary's pregnancy, uh, the the Annunciation by Gabriel. Um, it has um, um, some parables that were mentioned and some beautiful language, and then it has its its part two in the book of Acts. So Matthew and Luke have their their glitter. The Gospel of John is just so deep, yet so simple. It's like a meditation. It's just this very unique approach. Jesus has his famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. He washes the disciples' feet. I mean, John is its own unique. And then there's Mark. He's the shortest of them, uh, not always the most eloquent, somewhat crude and quick and to the point. And it just doesn't have as much as the others. Many just look at it like it doesn't have as much meat. Well, I love the Gospel of Mark because it has its own unique message. And that, of course, is what we looked at. It's the way. And it does seem that this is Mark's intention as he uses the phrase hadas. It's a Greek word, hadas, which means way. He uses it 16 times, and that's quite significant. We see Jesus on the road, on the path with his disciples. Mark opens his gospel by quoting Isaiah that there was going to be a way in the wilderness. And Jesus comes on the scene immediately after that, leading people on the way, going toward the restoration of all things, the new heaven, the new earth. So what Mark wants to do is to show us what it looks like to walk with Jesus on this way. That is an incredibly important and foundational message to be a Christian. Because sometimes we think of Christianity as a decision that we make. Yes, it starts with a decision, but it's also a direction we take. And that's what we call the way. It's a path. It's, it's a way of living. It's not just a set of dogmas, doctrines, beliefs that we hold to in our heads as if all God cared about was our brains pegged up on a stick called the body. No. Jesus became, God came in Jesus as a body. We're not just brains that believe things. We're bodies that desire things, that go places, that say things, that feel things, that do things. So Jesus comes and gives us a way, a path. So the way is not just a path, but it's also a manner of living. So the metaphor goes both ways. It's taking us somewhere, but it's also a manner in which we are getting there. It's the way we walk the way. And so Jesus shows us things like the way he heals people, the way he listens, the way he tells stories. But most importantly, in the middle of the gospel, it was the way he demonstrated the way. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I will be crucified, but I will rise three days later. The disciples, Mark keenly shows us, do not understand 
as a contrast to show us what the way is not. Remember, Peter says to Jesus, oh, no, you don't go to the cross. But Jesus has to correct him and say, that's Satan's thinking. And then he tells him, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. That's the way. He tells us the second time, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, but I will be raised from the dead. And then, well, apparently on the way, the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest. See, they're not understanding this message of servanthood. So Jesus takes a child and shows them, look, whoever's first will be last and whoever's last will be first. And then finally, and rather sadly, in some anti-climax, James and John miss the first two messages. Jesus says, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, then I'll be raised from the dead. James and John say, cool. So whatever that means, can we sit at your right and left hand in glory? Self-seeking position, wanting glory and attention for oneself. James and John, opportunists. And Jesus pulls once again the disciples together and says, guys, this is not the way we walk the way. We are servants. Gentiles do it the way you're thinking. But I came to show you the way. And that's where he famously says in Mark 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I wish that we as Christians would get Mark's message deep within our hearts so that we would become these cross carriers, these last becoming first, these servants walking away that the world finds different than the conventional ways they've been handed. See, there's a way in the world. It's put self first. It's look out for oneself. It's climb the ladder. It's defend, protect, uh, be exclusive, be tribal. Jesus wanted to have none of that and was bringing people in, even people the Pharisees said he shouldn't be with, because he knew that if people would follow him on the way, the way itself would change the way that we live. One step at a time, it would teach us differently. So um, this way is really Mark just picking up an Old Testament theme and exposing it in the life of Jesus. For example, Deuteronomy, it refers to the way 36 times in the English Standard Version. 36 times. Now, um, the Pentateuch sees, the first five books of the Bible see, Israel's journey through the wilderness to the promised land as a way. In fact, the people who put the Bible, who compile all the books of the Bible together um, in the Greek, uh, called ek, uh, the Exodus story, they called it ek haras, the way out. And then um, Moses begins to teach them that, yeah, while we're on the way, God has given us a way to be on the way. It's called the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 32, he says this, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the way that Yahweh your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. If you want spiritual prosperity, if you want wholeness in your being as a human following Christ, stick to the way. Turn neither left nor right. 
the teachings of Jesus leading us through the wilderness. And then the Psalms pick up the same idea, mentioning the way 97 times. And the Psalms open with the theme, the first book of the Psalms inviting us on the way and setting before us two different paths. Which way will you choose? Listen to it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But here's your second way. His delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. What comes out of this path? This. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Back to the conventional way. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways, which will you take? One perishes. One is like chaff in the wind. It just goes with the flow. Whatever is going on, whatever people are doing, we follow that path and it perishes. Or there's a way that plants you deep in the soil by the streams of water. Your leaf does not wither and your fruit is born in its season. And so then the Psalms continue to talk about that way. And notice that the Psalter opens up with this invitation. So these prayers and these praises and these imprecations, imprecatory Psalms, um, the cursing ones, all of these are part of the way. And so the Psalms want to guide us on the way as well. And then, of course, if you've been with us for some time, you will know that Isaiah teaches about the way. And so Isaiah is trying his best to get Israel to trust in God. But, well, for the first 39 chapters of the book, Israel seems very disinterested in trusting God. So Isaiah finally just says, you know what? Okay, I'm going to show you two paths. One is the path of destruction and the other is the path of flourishing, just like the Psalms, just like Moses had cautioned. So in um, Isaiah chapter 34, it describes this wasteland, this wilderness, where all these wild animals are inhabiting the land and it's ugly destruction. But then in Isaiah 35, that wilderness becomes fruitful. It says, this is the way of trusting Yahweh. And as you hear parts of it, you're going to hear that this is Jesus. Isaiah foreseeing Jesus. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of Yahweh, the majesty of our God. So strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Why? Because we got to get going on this way, right? So say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense. He will come and save you. Then when God comes, 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And it goes on to say how everything's transformed. And then in verse 8, a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And then it says that they will come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah first alludes to the way there when he's bringing in conclusion his call for Israel to trust in God. Then in the second movement of Isaiah, totally shifts his, um, his tone. And it's in chapter 40. It's like, okay, well, now we know Israel's going to reject God. So let's talk to them when they do, when they're in exile. And we, humanity, the world is right now joining Israel in exile. None of us, well, actually, we should say <laughs> Israel joins humanity in exile. None of us live in Eden, our home. And so then God speaks comfort to them, says your sins are forgiven. And then he says this, Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is how Mark opens up, quoting Isaiah's way. Isaiah then continues, of course, to show us that there will be a servant to lead us on this way. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And we see that very thing happening in Mark chapter 1. We see that Jesus is referred to as the one in whom God's soul delights. And we see the spirit coming upon him. Jesus is marked out as the servant who will lead us on the way through the wilderness. We have some challenges. Isaiah warns against idolatry in Isaiah 46. He talks about the fact that idols will wear us down, but God wants to carry us. So the only way you're not going to make it on the way of Jesus is if you've got pockets full of rocks, full of idols. And then in Isaiah 55, uh, we saw that this, this is great banquet. And of course, Jesus is eating with the down and out, the outcasts, the ones the religious leaders don't deem holy enough. Uh, Jesus is eating banquets with them. We see him eating. He, he has the last supper with his disciples. These are all foreshadows of where the way is headed. And then finally, of course, Isaiah 65 verse 17 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. When all things are resurrected and renewed. Well, at the end of Mark, we see where the way leads. Resurrection. It ends with the renewal of all things. The body of Jesus renewed, you renewed, me renewed, the heavens and the earth renewed. That is where the way goes. So on the way, we must learn to take up the cross because that's what stands between the wilderness and the resurrection, the desert and the flowing gardens. It's the cross. Everyone is going to die but some will choose to take up their cross before death and they will therefore find life. This is Christianity. We sometimes confuse it with beliefs and creeds and doctrines and, and, and political opinions, but Christianity is about walking this way. So much so that before we were called Christians, we were called the way. 
That's right. The first name for us in the Bible is the way. And it comes in Acts chapter 9 when Saul, who later becomes Paul, Saul is that zealous Pharisee who wants to eradicate this rebel group who are breaking away from Judaism or claiming that it needs to change. We don't need a temple. The Messiah is coming. They're like, well, this is outrageous. So, so Saul wants to eliminate and he, and they're, they're referred to as the way. So it says that he got permission from the synagogue uh, to go to Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then that's the first time in Acts. And then later the church is referred to as the way a few more times. This is good stuff. This was our original name, The Way. We are the way. In a world that's going one way, we are the other way, an alternate way. And that's why Jesus said, look, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is my way. So, just to recap, how do we start on this way? Well, Mark showed us that we have to let down our nets. We have to leave our nets. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their nets. The first disciples he called. Look, we get entangled. We get entangled with um, the conventional attitudes, the conventional methods, the conventional ways of being human in our society. We have to be disentangled from those. We have to lay those down and follow Jesus. So we saw that Jesus told us how. He said to us, look, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. So we need to turn around. That's what repent means. To turn around. You're going down one way. We need to turn around and get on the other way. And believe in the gospel. The good news. Where the way is headed. Then we looked at. The uncrowded way. Where the the Pharisees become prominent opposers to the way of Jesus. The, the Pharisees were into drawing a crowd. Uh, they were a static group. There's no movement. See, when you're on a way, you're moving. But the Pharisees were static. They were stuck, you may remember this, washing the window. To them, the law of God was a window to keep clean. But to God, it was something to see through and to look at his new creation. So Jesus is trying to take us onward. The Pharisees are stuck cleaning the window. So they're static, but the way is a movement. It's dynamic. And so we saw Jesus healing the man lowered through the roof of the house in Mark chapter two. And uh, that man represents, or the house represents uh, the way of the Pharisees, the crowded way, the let's keep everyone together. Let's amass as many people as we can. Let's stay here and build our empire. But Jesus sees a need to rip the roof off of that because that's how people will be healed. That's how people will leave the house walking rather than being carried around. That's what the way is about. Remember Isaiah 35, the lame shall leap like the deer. Uh, then we saw the unhurried way in Jesus's parables. All three parables are about seed. There's no rush to growing seed. It's an unhurried, patient process. The way is slow, friends. The way does not always come with excitement every twist and turn. Sometimes it's just putting one foot after another, but after enough steps, you look back and realize, wait a minute, fruit is growing. The wilderness is becoming the Garden of Eden again. And so we have this need for depth, 
We have this need for depth in a shallow world that is distracted. We are such a distracted people. We're always looking at the clock or at our phone or we're moving from this event to that event, this thought to that thought, this channel to that channel, uh, entertaining ourselves to the point that we're shallow. Death, depth comes with patience and time. It comes from doing the same activities over and over until we root our lives into them. Things like prayer, things like scripture, things like fellowship and communion and tithing. And I think I said prayer already. Fasting, um, doing these over and over. These are the steps on the way and they will give us depth so that the seed will grow fruit. Then we saw the unanxious way. Because we live in an anxious world. We all are anxious, and some people are incredibly anxious. But Jesus wants people on the way who are unanxious, showing the world that there's a way of peace. There's a God who calms the storms. We just need to wake Jesus up, who's asleep on the boat in our lives. We need to wake him up and not fear his power, because he will bring power and he will calm the waves. But so the way will sometimes be on land and it will sometimes be on water. The land is solid, it's safe, it's secure. We know it, we understand it, we can predict it. But the water is the complete opposite. It's a sea of anxiety. You can't control the waves. It's liquid, it moves, it's, it's, it's not stable and occasionally there's a storm. But he takes us on the sea so that we can learn to wake him up, to call upon him, to trust in him, to face our anxieties and then realize Jesus has them. I have no anxieties. So that when we get back to land, we are not a fearful bunch cowering with the rest of the world, but we are leading the world on the way because we realize there's nothing to be afraid of. So we can feed the 5,000 knowing that we have enough in Jesus because he calms the storm. We may not feel like we are enough to help the people around us, but when we give what we have to Jesus, we are enough. So the way We'll get rid of our anxieties by taking us on land and water. This movement of um, withdraw, withdraw to learn, face the depths of our darkness and to let Jesus take it. And then the return as we go to the land and lead and walk and, and help people. Uh, then we saw the heroic way, which we've already recapped. Jesus teaching the disciples three times what it means to be on the way. It's not the spectacle not the hero who's a spectacle, but the hero who's a servant. The cross, therefore, is not just substitution. It is also participation. In other words, the cross isn't just something for Jesus that he does for us. He did, and that was important because there's where he forgave our sins. But it's also participation, something that we take up and die with him, something that we take up and walk with him. And then finally, we close with the everyday way. And here, Mark shows us each and every day of the final week of Jesus's life. He's the only of the four gospels that specifies where one day begins and where one day ends. And it's from Sunday to Sunday. Both Sundays are incredibly uh, festive celebratory events at the church. Now, what's the word? Well, we remember it. We celebrate it. Um but Monday through Saturday is often the secular world. It's where we walk the conventional way. Sometimes I think the majority of Christians do that. What Mark wants us to do is show that, you know, walking with Jesus on the way is a Sunday through Sunday. Not Sunday to Sunday. Not one of the one day of the week, but all seven days of the week. We are walking with Jesus on the way. So, yeah, 
Um, that which is important is not always exciting. But we always want life to be exciting. So we, I think we, we tend to tune out the way of Jesus because it only matters on Sunday. And we therefore look for other ways of exciting ourselves on the so-called secular days. But that's not the way. Yeah, the way may not always be illustrious. It might be lackluster. But if we keep at it every day, we will find meaning and importance in it. It just takes more time to grow that fruit. Uh, so as a result, those who walk on the way will develop something that uh, used to be called, I don't hear it much anymore. I hear, I think mostly from the old Christian writers, but it's a word called gravitas, gravitas. We'll develop gravitas. Obviously it sounds like the word gravity, right? And that's the idea is that those who walk on the way will develop enough spiritual mass to be attractive. Gravity is the result of something having enough mass so that it can begin to pull on things, right? The gravitational pull. We, by walking in the way, will develop enough spiritual mass to be attractive like gravity. The world is desperate for people with gravitas. Will we, Christians, be the ones who possess it? Will we choose to follow Jesus on the way or will we simply reduce our faith to a decision we made at an altar call or when we said a prayer? Gravitas comes when wounds are healed, failures are redeemed, sins are forgiven, and thorns settle into our flesh. That's why Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. It won't always be easy, but it's building us into the new creation. You see, the way isn't just taking us to the new creation. It's remaking us into the new creation so that we are proper fixtures in the new creation. I want to leave you with one final thought. The phrase being on the way, it's interesting because it's something that we say when we're en route, right? We uh, we text home, on my way, or we let someone know, I'm on my way, expect me soon. We, by being, by following Jesus on the way, we are also en route. We are on the way. We're a people who live between the wilderness and the new creation. See, we know there's an end, but we're waiting we're simply walking the agonizingly slow progress of everydayness, one step at a time. But we must never forget that we are on the way. So I want to read something that uh, that gave me this thought um, that I read this morning. And no, yesterday morning. I don't remember. One of these mornings recently. And it gives this illustration of well, the telos, it's, it's this word for basically your, the, the end goal for us as the kingdom of God. It's, it's the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. Uh, we are on our way toward that. That's what helps us to wait. So if there's a seventh and final message for Mark, it's that we would wait on the way. We would be patient in waiting on the way. We would not forget that this is going somewhere so that we keep going. So let me read this to you. It's from a book called um, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And here the author talks about what it's like being stuck in traffic and then that how that reminds the author um, that, you know what, this is us. We are 
stuck kind of in between times, but we are on the way. Quote, what if in traffic on I-35, we travelers forgot our telos? What if we all forsook our destinations, our commitment to where we are going, and came to believe that this grimy interstate was all there is? What if we all left our cars and set up cots on a dingy stretch of highway? Someone pulls a grill out of a truck bed and starts a barbecue. Maybe we set up a a poker game. We aren't going anywhere. Eventually, we say, there's nowhere to go, and simply make ourselves as comfortable as we can. People begin to hoard food. Fights break out. People siphon gas and squabble over jumper cables and keep the air conditioning going. We each stake out our own territory and try to eke out an existence on the interstate, believing that these gasoline fumes and concrete pillars are all there is. This is the way the world always has been and always will be. Pause and reflect on how that sounds very much like the world we live in right now. The way of the world doesn't see itself on the way to any particular hope. So we look like this imaginary scene on the highway. But, returning to the quote, it would be a disaster. Out of touch with larger reality, we would have lost our telus. We'd have forgotten that there are better ways to live. The future orientation of Christian time reminds us that we are people on the way. It allows us to live in the present as an alternative people patiently waiting for what is to come, but never giving up on our telos. So in other words, while we're stuck in the traffic of this world, living on this highway, we don't have to start squabbling and making our home there. We can just patiently wait it out knowing eventually this is going to clear up and we will get home. So my friends, I pray that we would all be great pilgrims on the way. It's an exciting path. It's a hopeful path. There's no other way I would want to live. I hope and pray it's the same for you. So happy travels, everyone. This is Pastor Brandon with Grace and Gratitude. Thank you for listening.